My parents rarely took a vacation. Maybe they were workaholics. They were farmers, or I should say, we were farmers. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, sorry. <laughs> But one of the things that was always troubling was because we were a dairy farm. Anytime you brought someone else in to milk the cows, the cows didn't give all the milk because they didn't trust the people who were doing the milking. They didn't have trust in those who were caring for them. They didn't have familiarity with them. Those people hadn't been there with constancy and with care and with faithfulness. And so oftentimes, if you would go away, you would come back, and what would happen is, and if you don't know anything about dairy cows, is that if they hold their milk in, the milk goes bad. And so just imagine having rotten milk inside of you. Have you ever drank rotten milk? And so the cows would often get sick and you would spend time doctoring and the production would go down and guess what this is? This is your livelihood. So we didn't go on vacation very much. I don't think it was because my parents were workaholics. I think it's because my dad really loved being a farmer. And because you had to care for the farm and for those animals. And so trust was incredibly important, is incredibly important in all facets of our lives. And so as I read Psalm 23 today, and, and oftentimes, for whatever reason, whenever we hear the 23rd Psalm, what do you think of? What? Funerals. Right. Apparently, apparently in Jewish culture, it's Psalm 90 that gets read at, at funerals or at those kinds of services. Psalm 23 is, the, is sort of the, the Christian, you know, regular thing that gets read. But that's really not... I think that's a really poor place for it to be, actually, in terms of our thinking. I think it's a great place for it to be read. I just think it's a poor place for our thinking because it really is all about trust and where our trust ought to be, where our trust lies if we are to live a rich and a full life. Because God knows that we are sinful, broken people and that we often will put our trust in things that are not worthy of our trust. And so here the psalmist, and what's interesting about this psalm is that in, in almost all the rest of Scripture, when it talks about God, Yahweh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, being a shepherd, it is in the collective. It is for the whole community. The Lord is our shepherd. Here it's a little more personal that the psalmist is talking about that. But I don't want us to lose, I don't want us to lose this understanding that we're also talking about the Lord as our shepherd. The people of the covenant, I would say of all creation, 
God seeks to lead us and to guide us and protect us. So there's all kinds of things going on here. There's personal, there's political, there's pastoral. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means I, I have someone leading a guy to me. What it also means is these other things are not my shepherd. Because when you have one, you cannot have the other as the one who leads and guides you and shows you the way. Just imagine this for a moment. Well, and the Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is a shepherd, then what are we? Our goats. Imagine if you have two shepherds with a flock of sheep. And one's saying this will go this way and the other one's saying go this way. It's confusing, right? But we do this all the time because of our brokenness. We, we say we put our trust in God who is our shepherd, but yet then we look to other institutions, organizations, people, things to be our shepherd, to be the place where we put our full trust. Money is not our shepherd. The U.S. government is not our shepherd. The Supreme Court is not our shepherd. They do not provide for us. They do not keep us safe necessarily. When we put our trust in these other institutions and things, and we sort of put our ultimate trust in things, we are going to be disappointed. Even when we put our trust in other human beings... I'm sure it's never happened to you that someone broke your trust, ever. I mean, just the other day, I trusted that my family would unload the dishwasher. Man, broken trust. They probably expected me to change the toilet paper roll. Broken trust. I expect them to put it with the thing. Anyway, that's another thing. What I'm really trying to emphasize, if you can't get it already, is is just we get so worked up when institutions that we think ought to do certain things in certain ways change their mind. Now later I'll talk about what it means to have a shepherd and how we want to work in the world, okay? So I'm going to get there if you're wondering about that. But what I want to emphasize here is for those of us who believe the only place that we can put our full trust is in the shepherd, in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is the only righteous place to put them, to put our trust. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What this says is that the shepherd provides for our needs, but not necessarily our desires. What if we put our trust in God in such a way that we could fully believe, and I'm working on this, let me just tell you this, so this is just understand this, that we could fully believe that God would provide for our needs. Maybe not our desires, but for our needs. Wouldn't that change what we think our needs are? How would we reevaluate what our needs are? How might we live 
He makes me lie down in green pastures, not brown ones, not ones that don't have any grass. He leads me beside still waters, meaning ones that aren't scary, because water in the Scripture often is what we think of as the primordial waters. It's, you, you know, it's scary. There might be the Leviathan down there. There might be, there might be sea monsters down there. When it says, it leads me to still waters, it leads me to a place of safety and security that where I don't have to fear. The shepherd restores my soul. The shepherd leads me in right paths, for his namesake, for the shepherd's namesake. It doesn't say that the path is straight. I think we assume this. We think that the, we think the path is supposed to be laid out in front of us. Man, I've, that's the way I've wanted it for all my life, and it has, it, wow, never. It's always a crookedy kind of path. And sometimes I get off of what I, the path that probably is the one that the shepherd would want to lead me on. Paths are made by walking, as one poet writes. And so we walk in trust with God, and we trust that the path will be made for us, and that it will become a right path. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, what would the King James Version say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I like this translation. It's probably a little more technically correct. Uh, Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Even though I walk into adversity. Even though I walk into trouble. Even though I walk through all of these things. And all of us have walked through adversity. We might be walking through it now in a way that we haven't experienced before. I fear no adversity. I fear no evil. Could you imagine a life of trust in the shepherd where you don't fear? Meditate on that for a while. For you, shepherd, are with me. There's the other thing is that this is, this is probably the hardest, one of the most difficult things in our faith is to believe and to trust that God is in the midst of all of these things. And, and we think that God ought to be in the midst of it making it right, making it work out the way we want it to work out. But what if God is in the midst of it suffering right along with us, walking with the people who are the most severely affected by the things that we as a human uh, as a human culture as a human family are doing to one another what if god is in the midst of it and yes we also believe that god ultimately works out all things to god's good ends but that is not something that we can see because the path is made by walking For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the rod and the staff, right? I mean, we, in thinking about that and in thinking about shepherds, right? Oftentimes we see depicted like the shepherd's crook has a a hook on it, right? So you can reach out and you, you can pull that sheep back in. 
It also has another end on it so you can whack the sheep really hard and like, you dummy, where are you going? What are you doing? If you've ever worked with sheep, you'll understand what I'm talking about. They're stinky, they're stupid, and they follow who's ever in the lead. I mean, I've seen, I, I've seen you know, 75 sheep all run into a fence that was this high, like a, almost like a chicken wire fence, right? And they're at, at 100 miles an hour, and the first one hits it with his or her nose, and the other ones just go... I mean, it was literally like, you know, a wily E. Coyote sort of a thing. And you're like, you idiots. And then it's like the WWE, they run across and go to the other side and do the same thing. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. So there is, even with the shepherd, it isn't just this comfort and joy and whatever. There is correction. There is pulling back on the path. There is discipline. There are times when we've got to look at ourselves in the mirror and hear the shepherd's voice saying, you're not walking the path that I want you on. Or, I'm inviting you onto this path. And you may not be able to see where it's going because the path is made by walking. 23rd Psalm goes on, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who wants to be in the presence of their enemies? Raise your hand. Yeah, nobody. I mean, half of us can't sit down with the other part of our family anymore and have a conversation about anything that matters. We wouldn't call them our enemies because they're family, but that may, may as well be. I mean, but God it says here, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God is present in the midst of these difficult things, these, these things where we are conflicted and turned. Now, there's also a, an ancient thing about that. I can talk about the table in the presence of the enemies later. It's not important today. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, meaning there's a blessing in having a shepherd. There's a care. Because it's not necessarily the anointing, like, like anointing a king. It's more, more like, at least in this scripture, it's more like, you know, like many of us did this morning, you know, it's like getting ready, right? We're in the, we're in the mirror doing our hair and you know, or at least making sure that, especially if you're coming with mom, that it's combed a certain way. Putting the oil in, you know, putting the, the stuff, making sure we're clean. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's, it's this beautiful care and love. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's not just follow me, shall pursue me. Goodness and mercy shall chase me down all the days of my life. What if, what if we trusted God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God was sending goodness and mercy after us at every turn, in every place, all the days of my life? And then it says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. I shall return to the house of the Lord often. Love that phrase. 
Having a shepherd, having trust. How does one develop trust? Well, constancy, faithfulness, compassion, empathy, grace, and truth. The only one who has all of those all the time is the Lord our God. We know from our theology, and I've been teaching, that we are sinful to the core. We are broken. We do not have full trust and faith in any other human being. And we cannot trust that any other human being, any other institution, any other thing is going to do the right thing by us at any turn. Does that seem cynical? Maybe. But now I want to flip it on its head. If we, those of us who claim a faith in God, believe that God is in the midst of all things and we trust God with all things, then we can begin to stop looking at ourselves and what we want, what we think is right for everybody else, and telling everybody else what is right for them, and we can begin working for the dignity and the honor and the love and the mercy and the care of everybody else. Because there are things when we work only for ourselves, when they benefit only me, we forget about the repercussions for the people that aren't me. When I work for things that that I believe in somehow and I'm not sitting down with my enemies, I'm not sitting down with those people who have other perspectives than me, I'm not getting the full picture. I don't have a clear understanding of what, how these things roll downhill. For example, when someone who is of, of a certain economic level receives medical care through Medicaid or whatever the the program is, and they begin to work, which is awesome, right? They get a chance to, to provide for themselves, to do their thing, right? When they get to a certain level, what's the first thing that goes away? The medical care. We had an example of someone that we and that you all know very well in this congregation who has been living on a housing waiver here in the city of Richmond. And she's gotten a job and she's been able to be very constant at it and she's, she's been making a little bit more money and she's been able to, to sort of begin to just barely get her feet under it. And so what, did, what happened? Your housing wa- waiver is going to be gone in 60 days. 60 days. If you've forgotten or you don't know, most places want first and last month's rent to get into any place. I don't care how cruddy it is. I don't care how great it is. First and last month's rent. Well, you know how hard it is to save up first and last month's rent? Oh, we've probably forgotten because most of us are well beyond that now. So we we think, oh, well, this is a good thing. Well, this person's getting on their feet. They shouldn't get this. They shouldn't get this extra support for any longer than, you know, any longer than this. So we're going we're gonna to pull this away from them. We don't think about the repercussions of that. Now, what is this, what are, what are these, what's this person's options? Lose their housing? Quit their job? Rock, hard place. We don't often think through the repercussions of all these decisions that we are making. And again, we live in a very difficult world. 
And so this week, I don't know about you, but if you, if you have any social media or if you have a female in your life, you've probably heard about the leaked document from the highest court in the land. It has struck fear in the hearts of many, and for many others, it, has, it feels like the biggest victory they could ever have imagined. My trust, my ultimate trust, is not in the Supreme Court of the United States. My trust is in the shepherd. And the way I understand that shepherd for me, and now you're going to get my personal opinion, is that my job is to work for the benefit of others and to look at the repercussions of whatever decisions that are made and to seek to do whatever I can to care for those people around me. We live in an industrialized country that does not provide care or education for newborn children in any significant, fundamental way. And yet we, now you're getting, like I said, you're getting my personal opinion here, so we may be going away from the Word of God. I just want to be very clear about this. And yet we are, or some of us, are very focused on those that don't have a voice for themselves, and we think we're speaking for them, the unborn, if we want to use that word. And yet, for those who are born, we haven't been willing to put our money where our mouth is. So where are we? It's complicated, right? But if we have trust in the Lord our God, now I'm going to come back to God's Word, I believe that we have a fundamental, a fundamental obligation to care for the least among us, for widows and for orphans, for the oppressed. And we live in a country where all of those still exist, whether we believe it or not. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Let that be true with us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let that be true with us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, and I shall work so that others would know that goodness and mercy follow them all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Let that be true with us. Let us put our trust where trust ought to be given. And let us always be working on behalf of others with mercy and with grace, with love and compassion. Amen.